it's Heather Gold here for another week of Tumble Vision, episode 69. And today we're going to talk with namesake founder Dan Gould about the conversational site that he's building that actually might be a place for tumbling. And Deb, what are we gonna, else are we going to ask him about? I think we're going to dive into Zainab Tufeki and New York Times editor Bill Keller's little online dialogue about whether Twitter makes you stupid or not. Mm, and Kevin, what else? I think we're going to probably... Andy Bowles, Andy Bowles um, problems with making a parallel record of kind of blue. Yes, kind of, and kind of bloop. If you want to support Andy Bio, kind of bloop.com. And Dan, what, what's the most important thing that we're going to learn about namesake? So I want to uh, just talk a little bit about how we're trying to create a community for conversations and uh, hopefully learn a bit from some amazing tumblers about how to build better worlds for conversations. Right on. So join us, uh, episode 69 with Dan Gold on Tumble Mission. Everybody, it's back and we're Tumble Vision, episode 69, with all three of us. It's a group event for episode 69. I'm your host, Heather Gold. Tumble Vision is where our human and tech selves intersect. It's a weekly salon style podcast about how to connect and create a world that puts people at the center of business, tech, and culture. And each week, uh, we, it's me and the other hosts, Kevin Marks in Silicon Valley. Hello. Hi there. Actually, and, in my own back garden for a change. Oh, how lovely. And Deb Schultz. Hello, all. And uh, we discuss different dimensions of tumbling with smart, interesting people creating this new networked world. Now, what is tumbling and why do I use such a weird word so casually? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> tumbling <laughs> is a Yiddish word, tumble, uh, a tumbler. Was someone who was hired to entertain at a wedding. It literally means to make noise. It was somebody, if you saw Dirty Dancing, you know that the performers were tumblers. Some of them were tumblers. Um, they didn't just put on a show. They also involved people at the resort in the show. That's why no one puts a baby in a corner. So uh, the answer to the question, how do you actually collaborate in a networked age where we don't have command and control structures anymore? The answer is you tumble. So uh, let's get into a couple of the issues that happened this week, and then we will get going with, actually, if you want to join us for this conversation, our guest tonight is the very lovely um, and considerate and founder of a new conversational site that'll be open, I guess, soonish, Namesake, Dan Gould. Dan? To everyone who listens to the podcast, I'll make sure to- Right uh, on. I'll make sure to give you guys a link. We'll post some special stuff for you at TumbleVision.tv. So Dan um, is invested in lots of different companies and found helped found a couple of different startups. And the latest, Namesake, which we're going to talk more about after we get into the week's news, but they do relate. Namesake is, uh, do I have this right, Dan, would you call it a conversational space? Uh, yeah, it's a, I, I, I don't like the idea of space, even though there are a lot of architectural and space metaphors. I, I think of it as a community because it's about the people, not the space. But uh, yeah, it's a, a new community for conversations about things people care about that they love and want to talk about online. All right. So uh, I have had a chance to use it some today, um, which so I have some 
more thoughts for Dan. We'll do a little bit of tumble eye for the startup guy, Dan. It's a thing that we like <laughs> we like to do when we have new app where we can be like, where's the tumbling? Let's tell you how it can happen. So first of all, this week has been an interesting time. Deb, would you maybe want to get into what happened with TechSoch and the executive editor of the New York Times, Bill Keller, and and maybe either you or Kevin can accurately pronounce TechSoch's real name. Okay, I can start by pronouncing her name. It is Zainab Tufeki. Damn. Um, damn, that's impressive. good. Well, damn, that's good. Well, it also helps once, you, once you've had the opportunity to sit in the room face-to-face with someone. You do not want to get their name wrong. So um, I'm, I'm going to give the story at a high level, but I, I may miss some of the details, so jump right in. So basically, a couple of months – a while ago now, a month ago, Bill Keller from the New York Times wrote a column which basically was along the lines of um, – Social media is great, but with every new technology, we lose something. And and he felt that what we're losing is face-to-face intimacy and conversation. Um, and I did reread the column, and we'll put it up on the blog purposefully because it's very easy for those of us in the tech space to go, he hates social media. He loves social media. It's best known for his, his sentence, the phrase, Twitter makes you stupid, is how people... Right, coining exactly. It. That that was how people were coining it. And actually, when I reread it, that's a little, little bit unfair. But he is old school New York Times guy, and and you know even people that that we love and have said that yeah, with every new technology, you do lose something. So there started an entire sort of back and forth Twitter stream online, back and forth with people saying, no, you don't get it. It's once again a la Mal- Malcolm Gladwell. You're sort of not understanding really what's going on under the surface here with relationships. And Zainab, to her credit, she is um, a social scientist and researcher and ethnographer, um, put up a long blog post telling him why he sort of doesn't really get um, that it is not about weak ties. There's actually, you know, actually online time can lead to more offline time. And that was the crux of his argument that people are spending more and more time, a la his 13-year-old daughter, online and they're not having, quote-unquote, real deep in-meat space friendships. And as a researcher, got to love those researchers who can point out and start sentences with, actually, the data shows <laughs> that that's not true. So Yeah, what I just want to say I love it when Emily Nussbaum was sort of yeah. tweeting a Storify version of this. Storify is a piece of so- software that lets you sort of see a bunch of tweets and a bit of a larger conversation. She, she put in the clip of Woody Allen's um, Annie Hall, that great scene where some – guys wanking off about Marshall McLuhan's ideas in online in line to a movie and some guy goes, as a matter of fact, I have Marshall McLuhan right, right here. Right here, yeah. Really, I miss that. It just is one of those moments. Well, I happen to have the research right here, Bill Keller, so let me just tell you exactly. how people actually it's, behave. It's a great metaphor, perfectly said. And and what I also like is like we're gonna get really meta here, but the fact that you know it was a it was a column on the New York Times. It sat up there for about a month, then you know people sort of bitched at him about it. Then Zainab wrote her piece. Then it got picked up again in the Twitter stream. It has legs. And then Emily Nussbaum put an added stuff into Storify, which I would love to figure out how to use myself because I think it's a great Tumblr tool. We should have them on. Um, 
And to me, it was all about sort of the nature of conversation today online and how it can start in one place and end somewhere else. And if you're lucky, um, you know, I had tweeted out that at least Zainab and Keller are adults, so they weren't completely sniping at each other. They were actually trying to have a dialogue about this. And to her credit, she put up the comment that he wrote that was hidden in her blog post. So to me, there's the topic of is social media helping or hurting our relationships? And then there was sort of the nature of watching this conversation unfold in, in, in real time and asynchronously along the way and, and how if it wasn't for a few people who may, we may or may not want to call tumblers or the fact that Zainab is one herself, it would have turned into a snipe fest. Right, I it's, think. It, that's true, but there's there's another interesting point here that Emily made, uh, Nussbaum, which is that Bill Keller has never responded to anybody on Twitter except direct employees of the New York Times. I think once, one time, except he sent one tweet to Z- Zane? Zainab. Zainab. Yeah. So this was actually a pretty big moment. This is like the guy with the big cheese position, although he stepped down from managing under the New York Times, who's writing these visible pieces about what it is like about social media, actually giving response. Although one response is not a conversation make, but it was it's more that it was more than it had been there. And then some other academics also jumped in with a lot of great um, uh, uh, research on this. So it was it's it's interesting that that happened because of course. If he did that, he might have more of an understanding of what right. intimacy is. I mean, that's the sort of self-fulfilling part of all of this. Well, I think we've just, you know, as we've discussed in the past, those who come and are sort of live on the, on the web rather than of the web, you know, it's really, I mean, I don't want to beat them up. I, I, I think it's, it's really hard to sort of grok the ongoing nature of the kinds of relationships and how deep they can be online if you're just living sort of hovering on the top with your old sort of, you know, editorial view that it's content first and people second. Whereas we view it, you know, the fact that I tweet something out, yeah, there's content in it, but it's really about connecting first and maybe the content second. And I think they miss that. I see it a bit like how when there's a first generation of people who all show up from different countries, but who all speak different languages, the first generation typically speaks a pidgin language, which isn't grammatically correct. Then the next generation forms a Creole, which is a a real human language. And I think we're forming a real human language of interacting and participating on the web, which feels very real. But if you don't, if you don't see it, it's, it's easy to miss. And I think that this whole distinction we have, even calling things real and virtual, our kids will find that silly in the same sense as as find lots of previous generation things silly. Yeah, I I like that metaphor. I like that metaphor. There's also face-to-face when you get together in person, and I think that's something for someone like Bill Keller that's quite invisible to him. Because, for example, I found myself in Australia uh, keynoting a couple of conferences last week, which I'll get into, and... um, you know, I was sitting at dinner all of a sudden. I was having a drink with two people I literally had met on Twitter two weeks before. And someone had seen a Google talk of mine, and then there I was sitting with them. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, the, the, so, even the kind of so-called real-life intimacy that Bill Keller would recognize or the old-school uh, pre-immigration one in, in Dan's metaphor still happens as well. There's a lot of one to the next. And I find myself actually quite interested in tumbling, helping playing a role between those. And, and when we get into talking about namesake, I'd like to see more applications really um, 
work hard on like thinking about that because I think it does happen, but it doesn't get as much tracking or support um, yeah. well, as it could. I, I think mixing that virtual and real life is absolutely huge that the people who think, you know, the, the people who talk about bowling alone and the idea that we've become less connected, I think are missing both that we are really connected and talking online. We have authentic relationships, but there's definitely something to the offline real world things. If you look at a community like uh, MySpace, MySpace was built on the secret shows and parties in different cities and that they had those real world meetups reinforces things. And it's a different aspect of things, but just because you don't have that certainly not invalid. Oh, for sure. And I think it's actually going to be a really valuable part of business models for, for different, um, companies too. But anyway, so this is one thing that happened this week that I think is, is interesting. Is there anything else you want to cover? Kevin, I want to talk a little bit about what I, what I got into in, uh, in Australia that's current for me. We have had, um, I mean, we have had some big political announcements from Obama. I don't know how much tumbling. I'm saying a lot of tumbling just because it's an issue I follow a lot. Uh, we're one vote away from marriage equality passing in New York, and I see a lot of online uh, pulling together of people and trying to get them to buses, kind of organizing, but also connecting. And some cross lines, which is even more tumbly to the Republicans who have gotten pulled in. For example, there's Facebook um, site, like, for people saying they'll, they'll give $100 to any Republican senator who supports it and trying to, you know, get people who are different a little bit together. I mean, it's not as Ooh, much it's sort of like, as I'd like to see, but it, there's, there's, there's some crossing lines happening there. Oh, it's like paying for votes, <laughs> but not. Um, <laughs> well, I, I did. I would love to hear the story because I didn't get a chance to follow it. But Andy bios the waxy lawsuit. Oh, which yeah, may or may not have deep tumbly, um pieces to it, and I think it actually does. So, Kevin, can you jump in there since you're yeah. a sort of copyright expert in this in certain in certain sure. ways? Let me um, let me throw the link in. So, what happened was um, a while back, Andy Bow did a um, a tribute album to Miles Davis' Kind of Blue, which he called Kind of Bloop, and it was 8-bit audio versions of all the songs. That's um, nicely done. Um, and for the cover of it, he took the cover of the original album and got someone to create a low-res pixel um, homage, if you like, to it, um, that, that he used for that. Now, what happened was... The photographer from the original album um, sued him for copyright infringement, um, and they, you know, basically he retained a lawyer. The lawyer threw the book at him um, with copyright infringement. There are statutory damages, which which is basically up to one hundred fifty thousand per copy made, um, and that tends to have this really nasty chilling effect because the, the way that damages work in in lawsuits is that. Um, the, the prosecution person says the largest possible number they can think of um, with some sort of vague justification, and then the, the, the jury or the judge gets to decide what the actual damages are, um, but they tend to split the difference, and if they start off with 150000 per per copy, um, it's very hard to split difference on anything that's rational. Just so, to be clear for people, statutory damages is not the actual damages or how much really is lost in actuality. Statutory damages are sort of a penalizing... Thing that's in there to help dissuade people from doing this. So even if you hear this, when you hear the story, do you think, God, there's no way that should have cost that much money to have that image? The statutory damages aren't about that. They're about bad boy. Don't do that. Well, that. 
Got it. Also, also they're, the, the, they're built on an old presumption. I mean, they're, they're built from when... That's copy the thing to talk about. Was, right. the, ...was the industrial model. Um, and the only way to make a copy of a record was to own a pressing plant. Um, so they were d- designed to deter people from, from effectively counterfeiting. Um, whereas now, every, every time you listen to something, you're making a copy of it. Um, and so the, the case law here is very, very woolly, but they're basically trying to apply the standards of running industrial printing press to people um, downloading files. Now, in any oh, case, he, t- anyway. he was actually pressing records. You know, he was actually making... Not, not just, but the, but the, his, his infringement came around the image, the, the image he used on the, not the, the audio at all. That's and right. So the copyright was protecting the photographer who's an artist's work, not, which yes. is a bit of a different model. So anyway, sorry to interrupt, but... So, so, so he ended up, rather than try and fight the case, he settled it for 32500 which is still a lot of money. Um, and he's, um, and he, then he wrote this essay about it, um, which I, which I linked to. And he's, you know, he, he's, he talks about, you know, the, the, the problems of the fair use test, which is, um, there is a defense against copyright infringement that's, that's called fair use, which has four parts to it. Um, did you transform it to something new? What was the original work like? How much of it did you take? And were you affecting the market for the original work? That's, that's basically the, the sort of four-part test. Um, and the problem is, because this is complicated, and th- what this means is you can't actually decide whether something's fair use or not. Um, a priori, you have to take it to court and, and debate it out in front of a judge and jury um, to see whether what you did was, was fair use. So basically, fair use is the right to go to court. Yeah, fair um, use is a defense, not a, uh, not a set of... A not an exemption, yeah. I love listening to these business guys talk about and technology person talk about because I I went to law school <laughs> and I used to sit in the entrepreneurship classes at Kellogg listening to everyone talk about we're going to have a patent and that'll protect our business and I'd be like and how much is it going to cost you and, and who knows if that patent is going to be worth crap but it's anyway so. Yeah, it's a bunch of rules, but at the end of the day, do you have the money to deal with it? This is what most of this stuff comes down to. Right. Yeah. And, and because of the statute damages thing, there's basically a huge, you know, sort of Damocles dangling over your head every time this happens because you're likely to be awarded, you know, trillions of dollars. That, that, that was actually a literal claim against um, one of the, the downloading sites was um, several trillion dollars, i.e. sort of eight times the size of the world economy. <laughs> <laughs> that is so Hollywood. Okay. Well, speaking of Hollywood and doing that, to throw a quick story in here, <laughs> I was um, uh, I had sold my last company to News Corp, which uh, owns Fox, <laughs> and uh, our product had a whole bunch of things that transformed images as part of the code and used them. And fun. And we were about to launch this. We were on the phone with on a press call, and I get a call from the general counsel's office saying after we'd been developing the software for a year, saying, you're not launching this on launch day. And uh, after all sorts of battles, it ended up with me in uh, flying out to the general counsel's office with pretty much every lawyer they had there. Um, and we were talking about the transformation of images. And their, uh, I had read the case law and had a whole presentation um, on it, which was... Uh, that basically around these two cases, Arebasoft and Perfect Ten. And I was sitting there with Krista Wolf, who was uh, CEO of MySpace, a whole bunch of these folks, and the executives said, yeah, we actually think you're right, but 
Fox has to be on the other side of this, right? Fox has to believe in stronger copyright. So you're they not have, they have a lot more businesses that make a lot more money than they're playing a whole different game. Yeah. Oh boy. It's just sort of kind of a mess. So part of the whole thing about this story about the photo by James, My- it's James Mizell. Do I have that right, Kevin? Uh, yes. I think that was the name. He took this iconic, he took the iconic photograph of Miles Davis, which is on the iconic jazz album, Kind of Blue, which to me, if I could only listen to one album for the rest of my life, this would be the album. Is that your, is that your island? What what do we used to call those? That your um, desert island, desert Desert island disc. It's the one. It's a perfect album. It's so incredible. It is. You're right. Mizell has this photo and then Andy has somebody do a pixelated version of it for the cover of of what of the uh, kind of bloop uh cd or whatever you want to call it download he puts out which is interesting because it's a download yet he makes an album cover that alone is an interesting idea uh but andy the irony of the whole thing to me is andy bio is like if i had to name like classiest guy that's contributed most to the internet he'd maybe be the guy like maybe one or number three like in the top couple people he couldn't be a nicer person in the world exactly. this project is completely done out of pocket. He's making zero dollars from it. He's paid everything that's come in off the downloads to the musicians. So it, it, it's a very public, good kind of thing. It's not like, you know, he was like copying CDs and selling them on the street corner. Anyway, so Kevin, sorry to interrupt the whole story. I just kind of feel like. That's the, that's part of why it's so heartbreaking because Andy had to end up paying well, right, this guy exactly. thirty two grand. Yes, exactly, and, and it's you know, ridiculous. And- we should have started a Kickstarter project to help Andy pay back the guy. Well, <laughs> so well, you know what? We should do well, that right now. We should do it. It's ridiculous. Why should Andy have to pay? This is a guy who's given so much to the internet, and the well, fact well, what that he's saying is, is if you buy, if you keep, if you buy kind of bloop and and pass that through, then um, after he's paid the artist back who made the recordings, he'll he'll use that to defray his costs. So I'm gonna go buy that right now. So, so go buy that okay. now. All right, everyone. Let's just do a shout out now. And and the thing of it is, so. He thought he had fair use of the image. And I have to right. say, when I looked at this, just as somebody who, if you went through one class of copy of intellectual property in law school, you would know that he probably shouldn't abuse the image. I mean, if he'd asked me before, I would have told him, don't do that. Um, but you're kind of taking the guess. You're playing the practical you're playing guess. The and, he, and he was saying transformative and parody that's what that he thought he was in that that corner of the it's the, not parody not enough, not um, enough. Yeah. hell on that's it may be transformative but it's not parody there's nothing i don't know the music maybe but anyway by the way i am finding it really funny that that this is the first sort of episode of tunnel vision that we're like discussing sort of cop deeply discussing copyright and infringement it's so like not tumbly but it shows how the two are bumping up against each other right well my so life sad. moved I, this used to be what I did, and in some ways, my shifted to the things that are tumbling like are because I got so frustrated um, with the way things did work, and it became clear to me just practically that connecting people was just so much more satisfying than locking everything down and owning it. Oh my gosh, are you here, Andy? Is he? That's just it's someone wax pancake or someone's using wax pancake in the room. Andy, Yay. we love. 
We love Andy, you. Andy, we love you. We were just saying it's not fair if he's listening. No, we want everybody to buy kind of bloop. And if you could, if we could cook starter a way to like get his him paid back, it's absurd. But anyway, it's so, so say a little bit more, Kevin, about why you think this case is so important. And I mean, he's, here's this collaborative thing Andy puts together and he tumbles all these people. Well, that's the thing. He he had this 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 nice transformative art project, and then one little corner of it was the was the album cover, um, and he said, "Oh, I can do the same kind of thing, and it's a nod to what we're doing. We've, we're recreating kind of blue in eight bit music, um, so I'll recreate the album cover in an eight bit graphic, and that you know, for me, that all hangs together, and I can see exactly how he got there and how he did it. And again, with my you know, naive technologist view of this stuff, is like." Yes, this fits together. I can, I can, you know, see that. And he his, his explains all this beautifully in the post and shows examples of um, transformative parodies and, and the debate about it. And, it. and it is a, it is a tricky one. It's, this is, this is the kind of you know problem that you end up having to go to court to decide. But the problem is going to court is so expensive. That's you know, there's this you know, basically Lessig has written three books about this, which is the problem is the fair use thing is a right to go to court. And that means you have to have deep pockets to begin with, or you have to find someone who will back you, or you have to have done it not as an individual, but as a, as a sort of um, disposable corporation that can be sued instead. God, you know what, um, Andrew Haslett, can we get Andy to call in? Or can, is that possible? Totally, we could do that. Yeah, I uh, just need his um, uh, Skype handle, and we can get him in here. If you want to... Uh, text that if you don't want to put it in the chat room and you can dm me or something but um <laughs> what are you wearing what are you wearing <laughs> we're trying to make sure it's definitely andy and not exactly like, well andy says feel free to ask me anything so i thought i'd ask him what he was wearing <laughs> yeah so we can have <laughs> wait he's make, sending a link we're gonna yeah. have an anthony Peter issue on our hands any minute okay he, he okay, now I know it's Andy because he said he's sorry. It's definitely <laughs> <laughs> never read the comments. He's wearing. All right, he can't happen. But so, so, so that's so, the other thing. So Andy, Andy um, wrote this blog post as part of the settlement. He said, "I need to be able to write about this because it's, it's driven me mad." Um, and everyone today has been going, "Shit, this is terrible." What can we do? And half of what they did was, "Let's go and find this guy's Facebook page and tell oh, him about us." So um, the. Jay Maisel's Facebook page suddenly got flooded with people saying, what kind of a dick move is this and that, that kind of stuff. Um, and I think he actually deleted it this afternoon after that for a while. But then it's also set up a very good debate um, in public across multiple blogs and Twitter about, about these sort of abstruse issues of copyright law that you know, some of us have, have been waffling on about for years. Um, but this is a sort of concrete thing that, that people can, can talk about. And I noticed that... Um, uh, Glenn Fleischman was was going back and forth with Andy about it earlier on Twitter as well. Yeah, I want to add that that Andy, who is really consummate tumbler, by that we mean he's someone who brings people together in what he does. He helps facilitate really collaborative stuff, and he's focuses quite a bit on the connections between other people and the and the the conversation or the project, not merely like who's running stuff. It kind of lets it go in the direction it needs to go in. And he tried to step in. I saw him make some comments on Twitter when people were. You know, kind of hating on Maisel, who's a pretty amazing artist, photographer as it is. I mean, someone like Maisel made his living because copyright 
law worked the way it did and he got paid for licensing his photographs and also to be able to, as an artist, to keep people from using the, his work in a way he didn't want. So, so when you're talking, I mean, part of what's interesting about this is you're not talking about News, uh, news Corp. Uh, the delightful former employer of Dan Gould as, <laughs> as the supposed, you know, bad guy, you're talking about a, a pretty terrific artist yeah. and, and yeah, an older one at that. For News Corp, that they have a lot of really nice, wonderful people there. And when I talked to them, I tried to explain the technology point of view. And just as much as we don't understand often the, hey, why do you want to stop all this free expression going on? There are a bunch of people who grew up in a a copyright regime where, you know, oh, we spend time on our art. We make good movies. You know, oh, I spent five years of my life and, you know, $20 million making this movie. You think you should be able to copy it? And it's a very interesting thing when they're not using the internet every day and not playing around with remixes and transformative works to say, wait, you're stopping this whole bit of free expression that they don't see at all. And they just do see people soon. So they do have a, a very legitimate place that they're coming from. Absolutely. And, you know, it is everybody. It's an interesting in between time, you know, that that we're living through as we figure out the newer models. So part of what I wanted to say is that Andy tried to step in, as you say here in the chat room, was terrible. I tried to stop it once I was aware of it. He tried to help tumble the response to myself on Twitter for people who felt they were speaking up for him. um, Right. You know, say, hey, let's deal with it another way now. I don't know. I mean, Andy, if you're still with us, if we've been able to give other people a different focus other than the com- kind of comments they were throwing out at myself, um, and how much you think that helps in tumbling. And I think that'll segue nicely into a conversation about namesake because namesake is, uh, in my mind, putting expertise in a sort of textual conversation starter as as the social object around which they're trying to orient people. And so once Andy says uh, Andy Bio in the situation with Mizell says, hey, you know, here's my post, here's what happened to me. People seize on Mizell and Mizell has online as a Facebook page and that becomes the social object around which everybody goes ahead and starts throwing stuff. So is there another place to focus went? <laughs> I'm asking the chat room in case he's still there. <laughs> um, or maybe anyone have any ideas? Do you have any idea, Deb? Like if you were going to tumble this, another way to to get people to... To, and do you think getting to do something collaborative would help the sort of immediate desire for retribution? In answer to your question, yes, I do think it would. But I think what, you know, in referencing the earlier news bit with Zainab and Keller and lots of other things that we've seen over the years, trolling or not, like, go off into the internet sometimes once the train leaves the station on sort of that it's really hard as if anyone can do it you know andy should be able to do it it's really hard to get it back right um because it's almost like people we're in this sort of very gotcha snap judgmenty kind of right bill keller said twitter makes you stupid it's in there forever right and i don't know if he exactly said that and even if he did or he didn't if he codifies it later and says i've learned something different that's always there so but i do think that exactly what you pointed out giving people an outlet for their for their point of view whether it it might be a new conversational space and namesake to talk about it where it's back and forth i think a lot or or a project to, 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 so they can support one side or the other. 
you know, I think that's a good way because that's really what happens. People are annoyed and emotional and or passionate and emotional about good for good or bad. And they want they have an outlet. And the easiest outlet is 140 characters or less. Right. So I think it really takes deep tumbling that's really hard once it starts going in that direction. And I think right now the fact that these things happen all over the place and aren't gathered, maybe I'm sort of making a huge assumption here maybe makes it harder you know we say that we don't have good enough tools for tumblers so dan what if, what if like i mean maybe we could bring dan in on this because you sort of have this twitter's really not that great at conversation absolutely what do you mean what the I hell do you mean oh I, th- I i don't think it's great what's your name bill killer <laughs> <laughs> oh jump on me go ahead fine i'm done that's it i um no, no i know what you mean i, I think you know what Twitter- I, mean? I mean hashtags back and forth it, it's not that fluid it's the best thing we have so far and i like that it's open and all of that and people can jump in serendipitously but it's not great for well, yeah, I think in this case it was better than than facebook because oh, well, the, I forget, you know that I won't even put Facebook in this equation. So. Right, but but the challenge the challenge is, you know, what what are we what are their options? We, we they could be comments on Andy's original post, um, right. which he turned off because they would have been swamped. Um, so then there's sort of public discussion other ways, and I just linked the post from uh, John Gruber at Daring Fireball, who basically said, "Look at this guy. Here's his Facebook page. Have at it." Um, and basically sent his 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 hordes over to have a go at um, to at Meisel. and and that you know that's that this is the other side of having the public platform is you can you can sort of send the flow of people to to, to influence things. And this is something we know from the blogosphere um, can can blow up things. You, you have these you've, you know there, there was the slash dot effect. Um, Neil Gaiman is now very aware of this that when he links to something he may accidentally destroy it because suddenly you know. 200,000 people turn up at the site at the same time. Um, and the, the, the challenge is, um, how, do you, how do you challenge this in a, in, a, in, a, in a less, you know, noisy, floody way? Now, Twitter does dampen that because it's harder for you to all be in the same place at the same time shouting at each other as you would be in an ordinary blog comments or in a Facebook page, Facebook fan page, or things, you know, those kinds of flows because you don't see as much of it. Um, if if there if there had been a, if if you know if, if they said there was a hashtag for this, it it could have flowed more. Yeah. Well, Dan, um, Dan what are, what do you think about all this? Well, so I totally agree with you that there are different ways of concentrating where numbers of people go. So as you said, Facebook has really become friends and family centered around photos, and you know to to hide a lot there. And Twitter's an amazing, amazing tool, but it's not really about conversations. People at reply someone, but you notice back and forth conversations don't really go on for that long. And uh, when they do, they tend not to involve lots of others. It's sometimes a bunch of people responding to something, but uh, a real conversation like what we're having here doesn't happen. So that's exactly what we build Namesake around as a place for conversations and actually the whole real time aspect of it uh we happened upon by accident so when you come into namesake there are a bunch of conversations going on and people start off a conversation then they jump in and mostly participate in real time 
And the real-time part of it, we happened upon by accident, but turns out to trigger something, I think, that's kind of deep and very human, that it you feel like you're participating with those other people, you feel like they're in the same room as you, and, and somehow it, it feels a little magical. What feels a little magical? The act of being in a conversation with people. So when you're on Twitter, it feels like I'm in speaker's corner on a soapbox uh, broadcasting things out to folks. And I feel like I'm speaking to lots of people, but I don't feel like I'm together with lots of people. And that back and forth that happens, like when we're on this call, we end up uh, going back and forth with sometimes shorter statements, sometimes longer ones. But the fact that we go back and forth feels very different. And I think Twitter is – sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to say that Twitter is not – um, Myers in our chat room, as usual, sum- summarizes it brilliantly. Twitter spawns conversations, but doesn't sustain them very well. And you know, in thinking about this for today's ta- um, tonight's show, I was thinking, spawns is right. I can usually go back and forth. Heather, you probably sustain longer back and forth than I do, make three or four times, and then people go off to a different conversation. Forget the how many people. I'm talking about even with the same person, even if it's a one to one. So. In a way, the interesting thing to me is that namesake sort of is hearkening back to the old IRC or chat rooms of like it, it's it's weird. We're sort of I don't know if coming full circle is the right way to think about it, but it's kind of interesting that we started. But you know, before there were all these interfaces and web pages and all this, chat rooms and IRC chats were very popular. They didn't have nice design right. around them, but they they worked right. <laughs> and now. Uh, you know, just having literally jumped on namesake today, it it does have, for want of a better term, flow. One in in a specific conversation, I haven't had a chance to sort of navigate how you find conversations and stuff. Well, this, I mean, the turntable is the same thing. Turntable is basically IRC with music, right? Um, you know, you've got a, you've got a social object of songs to play back and forth, but you've also got a conversation going on in the corner that, that you can jump in and out of, and you've got rooms to jump between. So it has that it has that strong IRC feel to it, um, and to some Twitter hashtags aren't really that they can be if you've got a um, let me we had some Cylon yeah jump in and out yeah. there so Am so I, so Dan let's hear a little bit more from you Dan about so you so what motivated you to build namesake was you wanted more of a conversational space. Is this because you yourself wanted to have more online conversations and you didn't like the ones you were having on that, Twitter? I mean, I mean, personally, I'll tell you, I do have conversations on Twitter, but I am sort of a professional conversator. So I spent a lot of time doing it and getting people to do it. And I agree with Deb. It's the best that we have. But I think, I think, I mean, in terms of how social things are online and contact just two shows, though, corrected me and said, don't use social media. The whole web has always been social, which is true. But yes. I think we're very early, very barely made stabs at making anything work well socially. I think we don't have anything really that works that well socially online. So, so with with that uh, lead in, Dan, tell us like exactly what led to you wanting to do this, and if well, it scratched your itch yet. Yeah. So, well, to follow exactly what you said, the web, the web, and even pre-web, the internet uh, has always been social, and there's some people who are really great at using whatever tools are there. But over time, we keep building better and better tools for this. So to go way back in time, I actually started uh, 
years ago working on personal information management tools and realized, no, we want something where it really is about tumbling. It's about connecting people, finding the right people who should be talking, getting them together. And what they do is have conversations. That's how they get to know each other. That's how they build trust. So when I first started, I actually had dropped out of school in 2000 and started uh, what was sort of a pre-rise social site uh, and got uh, that got lost. R-Y-Z-E, Rise? Yeah. Just yep. give a little description for those who aren't as old web as you. Is it? So uh, if you go back, and I don't want to get too much into history because most people get bored by my web history stuff. Except but, that we wouldn't because we're. No, not us, but that's okay. <laughs> we so, can put it on the site after. <laughs> but if you look at, at various tools, there were all the, uh, the uh, tools that were about creating pages, profiles, the geocities of the world. Then you look at tools that have explicit social networks, so ones that are aware of this person knows this person. And probably the first was uh, a site called Six Degrees, and that was around 96. Then as a bunch of experiments, um, I built something called Corridor um, that – Turned out with, you know, the coming of the net collapse and all that never really got started, but was a really interesting experiment. And in fact, my uh, my college roommate, uh, Dana Boyd, uh, went off and got really excited by that and started to study how people used all that side of the world. Um, Then I went and worked on other tools, but I still always wanted the tool we were originally talking about, which is how do you. How do you have great tools for tumbling? How do you have great tools for conversations? And somehow there were lots of great tools out there, but none of them were quite doing it. And I've been working with my co-founder, Brian Norgard, and he really came up with a lot of the how on the user interface for it. But we started doing a lot of experiments and started with something that was far more centered on data. But over time, we experimented and found, oh, we built this little conversation feature. People built or people spent all their time using this little conversation feature. So we said, hmm. let's double down on that. Let's make it better. So really the site evolved from a you know very data-driven professional connection tool to a very conversational tool, and it turns out just to be really fun. You know what would be really neat that I just thought of? I can't help doing the feature add-on thing. If we agree with Myers, and I think we do, that Twitter spawns conversation, wouldn't it be nice just like you have a bitly link that – you can very easily do a namesake. Let's continue the conversation here. There, if for a while there were, um, there was an IM site that did that. Yeah, I can't remember its name off of Twitter. Yeah, I think that that would be that would be really nice to go back and forth. But I will also, and also say that save the conversation, hopefully, which is a lot of the stuff that we lose. In yeah, because See, one my of the big nice, frustration is following the hashtag afterwards. Yeah, one of the best things you can get, well, if Storify as an app is sort of helped because if you want to go yeah. put the work in, you can piece things together like Emily did with the with the Keller Tech Social conversation. But one of the nice things about Namesake is it has a, a permalink for each conversation, which is Brilliant. I imagine Anil Dash will be particularly pleased to hear that. We're all happy to have that. It means you can search on this stuff and find it. That's something that is hard to do on Twitter and Facebook, although I'm sure there are other apps that let you do that on Twitter. But I will I will say, like, I haven't I've only used it so much, Dan, but I like you're telling the story of moving from data to the conversation really people focus. And I would like to see um 
namesake and frankly all of course uh, uh, platforms to support conversation and and tumbling to be even more people focused like i i think it could be even much more people centered than it. it is and from just what you were saying you uh were in a conversation today and mentioned a few ideas around it and uh, it got me really excited, so uh, we'll have to I mean, there's lots to go into, but we, we, just to talk about it in the show, because I think we really need – one of the things we want to do on this um, for Tumble Vision, and we've had a sort of wiki as a way to do it, but maybe there's a way we can have a really long conversation on namesake and embed it on a site, because there are sort of principles that will help design that I think I know that work for live tumbling. I've learned most of my stuff from live in a room shows that I've done with people. But the emotional principles, as far as I can see online, work the same way. And uh, a lot of that has to do with, if you if you go to Namesake, and we've got a link here in the chat room for anybody we'll put on the site who goes to television and wants to use it, it it, uh, it has a stream, although it's a bit, takes a bit to find the stream, that in the way that Twitter kind of hits you in the face with it right away, um, because it's a bit more of a get up and running process. So you can see, but the, but the stream is of conversations, not of the last things just said because they're sort of chunked together and then um it's focused on expertise which is a bit like quora another relatively popular i guess um social information site on the web right now because that that is also you know google's weak weak spot if you're looking to invest money for a big hit you're looking to in my mind you've done more investing than i have uh did but i imagine investors want to undermine google right uh, I I don't know that they necessarily want to undermine them, but you, you don't want to go uh, head on. Google's great at what it does, but what it does is certainly not around conversations or, or connecting people. But, you know, you mentioned, Heather, and I was curious to ask – I don't play around with Quora a lot, but I was wondering, I'm sure, Dan, you have, and I, and I, uh, you know, not as a, we're different, we're better, not to be competitive or angry, but how do you guys see each other as, see yourselves as the same or different than Quora? Yes, I mean, so- they, they're, they're, their premise is a question, so I'm wondering. Can you describe Quora for a sec for people, Deb? Absolutely. So Quora. Or, um, so- yeah, Dan, better. Great. Uh, so Quora is a question and answer community. So people go on and ask questions about things, and then uh, various folks come in, reply, and people vote on those responses. So they, they vote up uh, the top responses to the top of the page. And we are friends with the Quora folks, um, and our technology platforms, there are a lot of similarities between, but our goals are very different than Quora. Quora's, Quora is, in some sense, a Wikipedia competitor. They're job is to get the best answer, the best knowledge around each question. So someone will ask a question, a bunch of people will write big essays to try and basically win the Quora game to get to the top (laughs) page, right? And they have that very strong mechanic of you're expected to write quality work and to submit it. So it's a bit of a writing and editorial process. And uh, what we're trying to do is get people to meet each other, to know each other, to become friends. The fact that content is generated is nice, but that's almost uh, incidental. And um, I see uh, Shenafrenia uh, on here saying uh, they're not into Quora due to their real name requirement. We actually also have a real name uh, requirement because we think that identity is really central to what we do. I think Anonymity has its place on the internet. It's great in a lot of communities. But what we're trying to do is get people to know each other, to build trust. Um, And so 
having those conversations is much more about the, the people involved than the content that's generated. So, uh, you, so does that make sense to you, Deb? I, I see it's funny yeah. because well, Dan, I, if, if Cora is it, a friend said to me, uh, Oh, if Cora, you know, think of a college campus, if Cora is the library namesake is the quad. I like that. I like that. Yeah, because I think think that even if two things look exactly alike, this is what we miss very often. This is where the tumbling comes in online and offline, Heather. The fact that Quora's objective, it could look exactly like namesake, like when you first arrive at the page. The fact that Quora's objective and there's subtle ways that happens is to sort of get to the right answer will change the total experience of how conversations happen there. It's really interesting that, you know, that, that alone can shift the nature of, of, of the engagement that happens there, period. Right. So the more you're looking at, so one of the things I basically teach, I teach these workshops and I'm presenting, I just did one in them, which are basically how to tumble live. I just did one in Australia. And the main thing is to follow social flow instead of informational flow. That's the big difference. And that's not, that's how people interact, but that's not how sites are often designed. They're designed around keywords because it's, easier to build them that way, I presume, or people, I don't know, you can speak for the technologists, Kevin and Dan, but that's what I generally see. So even um, even namesake is still, to me, information-focused because it's orienting everyone around expertise. And expertise is a way of people now feeling confident that they're important. It's a way of saying, here's why I'm listening to this person. But it's really just a social reason for us to engage. I mean, there's always a social premise, but it's often not explicit. Uh, Facebook conversations as the real social object and the expertise is sort of a secondary thing of, but the site is not designed that way Hmm. to me. I mean, for my, my first brush, but that's interesting to hear. So your concern is to have, I want to see conversationally what's going on and who's there with each other jumping in and, and kind of like, as if you walked into the quad and you're like, those four people look like they're having an awesome time and they're really heated and what they're getting into. And so I'm going to be attracted to that. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah. But the fact that you say that you're, you didn't get that immediately, that you saw the expertise as a core means we have a lot of work to do and we're definitely learning a lot from the community. I think the site, if you visit every, if you visit the community every day, every week, there are always at least small differences. So, uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear and learn. So hopefully we'll, well, it's interesting, but it's good to talk with you because now we know, like, here's what your, your, your priorities, what your focus is. When you went to, uh, you know, pitch the startup, how interested were people in conversation? Because it's a human focused thing. Like, I don't, know the rest of your team, but I don't know how much anthropology, sociology, uh, performers, <laughs> MCs, whatever it is, are part of that process. And you know what I mean? Like that's, it's, it's a newish thing. I mean, these human skills have not been top of the investment, um, Heap. list of concerns, except to the degree to which notwithstanding Dave McClure talking about design, I guess. Yeah. I think the world of investing may not have picked up on it, but discovering that this that the things that make us human tumbling the these sorts of connections are really at the center of everything we do in life if you want to do a business transaction you have to know and trust the people unless it's you know pure commodities like trading barrels of oil so i see this as what is going to happen over the long term but what if we were to go to random investors i'm sure they'd say we're crazy but they already know that brian and i are a bit out there so 
Yeah, and 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 frankly, the the I, the the tipping point <laughs> that we're hitting right now, and as Kevin, um, Heather, and I find discussing tumbling with people is, people are waking up to the fact that if you build it, they don't just come. Like it used to be, like oh, if we just connect everybody, things are just gonna start happening, right? And now that everyone's connected, yeah, bad things can happen, good things can happen. You know, sometimes things take off, sometimes they don't. Why and how this happens? I mean, I can see a world. Whether the investors have woken up to it or not, I'm not sure I care as much because they'll follow where the success is sort of. Um, it's the fact that sites, communities, spaces, uh, organizations, projects that work usually have this this people at the company in whatever way, shape, or form who get the importance of tumbling, whether they're engineers or other things. And so I think it's becoming more transparent that these things are needed uh, as as alongside, like you said, Heather, Dave McClure talks about design and it's kind of a tangential to tumbling because we think tumbling is design skills and tech. So yeah, so I, I think, think it's happening. Most interesting work along these lines. Who? Uh, honest to God, nobody. No it's terrible. We are, <laughs> I hate to tell you this. We're the. We are really the lead people having this conversation. There are other. There are good social interaction design conversations happening. Adrian Chan has a lot of great insights. I know Adina jumps into those conversations. Zeldman is just a great designer. All those design conversations among the great designers of Santa Maria's and the Zeldmans are very savvy stuff about design, but they don't focus at all on the person-to-person interaction, which is the thing that we are the most focused on and as a result you don't we haven't had a bringing together of user experience of these kinds of what have been live skills i mean the people who i think that know the most about it i think people who are seen as low level community manager people know yep. sometimes more of these things because they're actually spending the time with people heather champ and derek Pawazek know as much as anyone i think katarina has has pretty nice insights i don't know what's going to happen with her new Startup, but I think this is really kind of new territory because it's quite "quote unquote" soft as a skill, and um, and people I haven't totally agree. around it. They I haven't totally we, agree. even when you look at Facebook, which in my opinion has is has the success it has beyond, of course, first giving all the props to their execution. Yes, they execute beautifully, but they're almost lucky that it's as people centered as it is. It's almost an accident because um, yeah, well said. Yeah, I, I mean, Kevin, what do you do? You see anyone else you feel like really is is concerned about building this way or looking at things like this? Well, I think I mean, you know, it basically comes out of look at our guest list so far and the people we've we've been trying to drag on here as well. I think it is uh, it's being gradually seen as a skill that's that's needed, and it's only something I've been noticing um, in you know in the in my day job, if you like, at, at Salesforce, is that suddenly. The, the, the social enterprise is all the rage, right. um, and people want to bring this stuff to, to, to ways of doing business as well. Um, but in the same way that we were having the, problem, the, the discussion about superficial gamification, there's a certain amount of su- superficial socialization, if you like, um, where you take on the form but not the actual underlying uh, meaning for that. And some of the problems we have with the um, community managers' um, uh, framing is that it, 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 it feels like they're trying to um, heard, heard the people away rather than actually use them to improve things. I would say the most interesting uh, app that I saw before this was the old Seismic when it was a video conversation uh, iterative streaming place, and that has changed radically. Obviously, it's not what it is now. Sorry, Deb, you're about to say something before we can hopefully, Deb, Dan, go back to you and um, 
and get in more depth about what, what you're trying to do. Deb? I think, yeah, I think the issue with, um, I see it bubbling up a lot. Um, this concept of tumbling, whether people are talking about it or not. Um, last week at the P- at the Personal Democracy Forum conference, all the people who were the speakers on stage were talking about ways they had catalyzed communities. The, the challenge with tumbling is that it is by nature a bridge skill set. So it requires, and that's why I've I, really been trying lately, and I think we all have, to talk about it as a practice as opposed to a person. It is not a person. It is a practice because it requires interaction desires to think like tumblers, um, engineers to think about building for tumblers and, and users and the whole gamut, it cro- social ethnographers. It sort of crosses expertise areas and in, 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 in what we need for the future of online collaboration and offline collaboration. And I thought because you're right. Together. And so people are looking at it through different facets of the diamond. But that's why when we get our first conference off the ground, we hope to bring them all together so that we can put some framing around some of this. Because I, I think, you know, it's a human and emotional skill. But it's also, quote, unquote, in design. It can be a user interface thing. And it can be an engineering thing. And it can be a content thing. And, you know, doing it face-to-face in person you can bring some of that stuff online and some of the online stuff can actually come into the room. So that's, it's that's it's my two cents. To extend the, the space metaphor, which I know it wasn't your goal, but the, the, the platforms and all the stuff, Deb, we were just talking about engineering content, all those things are, if there can be done in ways to make conditions for engagement much more likely. Right. And well, to make it more likely to tumble. So, so Dan, maybe you can walk us through some of the things you were thinking about and how you yourself have learned about conversation, how that's something that yeah. you've paid yeah, attention well, to in your life before you came to namesake. Cause I, maybe it's from your last startup. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to jump back a bit because Deb said something really smart about how, uh, the, that it's a, a practice and thinking of it as a practice opens up a huge world in terms of how you think about building these sorts of things. But it's really hard from a technology perspective. We as technologists uh, almost know how to create uh, platforms and spaces. And getting humans have this very subtle sense of action, of interaction and presence. And it's very, very difficult to get software to do well. So... Uh, when you look at something, uh, for example, Jimmy Wales likes to tell uh, about Wikipedia that people, you come in, you make the first few edits, then someone goes to your person page and says, hey, welcome to Wikipedia. Thanks for making a bunch of edits. And every few weeks, months, someone suggests, hey, why don't we automate that? Why don't we build it into the software that once you've made 10 edits, it welcomes you? And you have to realize, no, 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 it's the context of the people. It's if you build it into software, it actually messes up the whole thing, right? That's that's uh, fake tumbling is the opposite of tumbling, and uh, <laughs> interpersonal <laughs> automation is the yeah. opposite. Interpersonal yeah. automation yes. doesn't work. Yet all the winds of technology have been automating things that we've done for years. So now that we're moving into social design, it's, it's a whole different skill, right? So right, it's a whole different it is. The thing that works is... is, Sorry. Oh, keep going, please. Is the human-machine hybrid. Sorry, I was interrupting. The the, speed in the human-machine hybrid, right, the people, you have to find the exact right person to 
to become the social designer because there's some people mm. who are so natural about it that they don't think about it explicitly. For example, my co-founder, Brian, is someone who's just naturally always connecting so many people in interesting ways that uh, it requires real work to think about that. Then you've got the uh, boring engineers like me who maybe not social enough. And you have to be able to think explicitly, what can I have the computer do? How can I create a context that lets people do it? So, right. you know, think of it as an algorithm. And I've spent time trying to figure out, uh, um, one of my friends, Linda Stone has a, I'm sure you've yeah. talked about it on podcast. Oh, yeah. a, a yeah, dinner have we had her on yet? We no, we've been trying to get her. Yeah, we have to have okay, her. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll call her up afterwards and yeah, say that yeah, she has to yeah. join you. But She's uh, busy. We, we all we're all pals with Stone. Yeah, yeah. She She's has the, Linda. Just to give her her proper's. She's not just the coiner of the term uh, continuous partial attention. She's really a pioneer in human Every, computer humanizing computer experience. Yeah. Really, yeah. Yes, so, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So one of the interesting things you'll have to ask her about when you have her on is about her dinner party seating algorithm. And she's thought <laughs> explicitly oh, it's really important. And she actually can explain to you, uh, given a set of people, she can tell you exa- exactly where she'll seat them at the dinner table and for very good reason. So to be oh, able to- I do the same thing in my shows. I mean, who you're picking and, and, and differences. Okay, so for example, this brings me exactly to something that I don't think Namesake does that I would like every app to do, Foursquare, every social thing. In, increase in intimacy and emotional engagement happens when there's difference, right? You need difference. You want to emphasize difference. Yet, everything that's, uh, am I not, am I sound-wise screwed up still? No, you're okay. Can you again. hear me? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, yet, it's easiest to have people aggregate, for example, namesake asks you to, to name 10, tag yourself with only 10 things that you're an expert on that people can endorse you in these things. And it makes you, I'm going to guess, probably move up some kind of list about who to listen to about these things, uh, which is also part of why the orientation, the design of the whole thing is around data and not around people because of that um, to me. Okay. Because it's what I, it's ostensibly, because it's in the top right hand corner, it's in like the juiciest part of the page. Heather is an expert in comedy, which would ostensibly imply that you should ask me questions about that as opposed to talk me some other way. I guess it's trying to give you a social object to talk to me. I don't know what you're doing with that. But that that having people be together who aren't the same, that's part of what Deb was talking about, this this bridging skill set. That's why a Tumblr can make that work, but also it's also why the engagement will be there. It's because if everyone already knows or wants to know about the same thing and is inquiring in the same way, you're not going to have emergent synchronistic moments where you're not sure about what's happening, which is what's interesting, right? The we're solving the problem or we don't know what's happening is what keeps people involved. The idea that we're all filling in, you know, the blank somewhere, which is, which was Wikipedia, which isn't, uninteresting, but think about how many people are involved in actually putting the data into Wikipedia. Not many. It's an asynchronous go access it on your own. It's not about a conversational experience, except for the few people who, who contribute to it. And so um, that's, it, it's a tough thing to do, but I would like to see all these things designed where the, so like, for example, Foursquare uh, reinforces you with badges and points, but it doesn't reinforce you. For example, like I've want them to let me introduce people 
who don't know each other and get badged for that. I want more points for introducing people to each other, which in my opinion benefits their business more because real community is people being invested in each other and sticking around for each other. That's what Facebook has taken such good advantage of the way in which people already have that. And just to add on to that is one of the things Dan to think about, and you know, we can delve more into this is one of our goals in making this this softer, more hidden skill that you said like Brian has and you don't have of tumbling because more transparent is that, yes, the people who do it well sort of do it naturally and not so I started talking about it did I start unpacking it. But the other thing that's happening online is that we have designed a bunch the social web as it stands today in a way that is one that is many to many. That's why everyone complains about filters and all this kind of stuff. It would be interesting if people started acknowledging, you know, the my shorthand for it is the spokes, right? And and maybe there's a certain type of person who gets a different set of tools who can tell people about another conversation or as Heather said, introduce introduce people to each other or or things like that. It's one of the reasons we think color as it's designed today won't work because just standing in a room with someone and sharing a social object is not enough of a trust level. So it's about acknowledging that there there's this this bridging thing that happens. Um, and yeah, do we build tools for that? Tools for with, tumblers, the practice of tumbling in a way. Yeah, within Namesake, we found the most powerful tool is the invite, the ability to invite folks into a conversation who you think should get mm-hmm. to know each other because, right. you know, it's the serendipity is too important to be left to chance, right? right. And you've, you've got to get all sorts of interesting people together and just see what happens. Uh, some of what you were mentioning... Uh, particularly, Heather, it sounds like you have lots of tools in mind. And as a technologist, as a tool builder, yes, I, wanna, I have a long list. I, 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 I want to hear what tools you want built. I know we don't have much time left, but that that excites me to say, OK, uh, tell us your dream tool. OK, we you're going to get a lot of lists from us. <laughs> right, Heather? <laughs> yeah, because there's stuff I can't do. I mean, in fact, I don't know if you're still in the room, Andy Bio, if you are. He left. Come back to the five and dime, Andy Bio, Andy Bio. But <laughs> upcoming, which Andy Bio built and uh, Yahoo, you know, bought and frittered away as Yahoo does, um, is still the best version I've seen. It still needs, I would like it to have done more than it did, but it was still the best way for me to see who the hell is going to something, who was there, what happened after. We still have no tool online for that. Now Facebook events has taken over where event, you know, where uh, Evite had been and upcoming had been. So you invite people to something, but you can't see the other people. And, and in the design of, of uh, namesake, it's not that dissimilar. The faces are even smaller in namesake than they are in Facebook. So you can't, can't see the people, which is the main reason you're there in the first place. Like my friend, or is someone hot going to be there, or who else are is interested in this thing? The context of who that person is. Andrew Hazlitt, our producer, had made a brilliant point in the chat room just now, which is the tool even on Facebook to introduce one person to another. You're saying, Dan, you have an invite. I can invite somebody into a conversation or into the service. You can, but you can't then explain. Hey. Andrew, here's what I want you to meet Dan. Dan, here's what you need to know about Andrew. And you're both awesome at this thing. There's no space to do that in, and it's not reaffirmed. The system isn't designed to, if it's Foursquare, give you points for it. It's designed, Foursquare gives you points if you go to new places. Like for me to go back to a place I love, you have to be obsessive to win, to be the mayor, to get get, um, juice 
and the way that that system reflects it, the juice of your of the intimacy of your relationships, which of course you just get in life, which is the thing Bill Keller's like, you know, terrified that we're not going to have Bill Keller of the generation that invented fucking uh, suburban life with SUVs and television and TV dinners, all such accelerators of intimacy. Yes, yes, of course. You, he and his and his baby boomer generation want to tell us we don't know about intimacy. I mean, honest to God, like that's a new issue. Uh, sorry, uh, I could rant about that for an hour. Oh, he, oh, uh, how did he, anyway, first Candace, cyber purity. Kevin, let Kevin jump in. Did Kevin? Kev? So he, he, I, Bill referred to cyber puritans, which was a wonderful um, new thing. Cyber- <laughs> I was so sorry. I was visualizing Cybermen with puritan hats on. Um, yeah. the, the, I, the thing I wanted to throw in was the 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 LinkedIn. Um, nonsense this week. Um, did you see that? No. Are men better at, than women at social networking? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, because just, just to let everybody know, we're going to have to wrap up in the next five, seven yes. minutes. We can talk That's more. That's right. I, I want to quick. Yeah. Yep, yep. We'll have so more time in the after show with, uh, with Dan. Go ahead, Kevin. So what they did was they said, oh, look, men have more connections than women. Therefore, they must be better at social networking. <laughs> I can't even. I can't even justify that with a response. It's so stupid. Okay, but but this got, you know this took off, and the, but the press wrote about it, and it's like oh who and you know and they had some other like some like second order metric of of, of um, savviness, but it was it really did not actually add up very well at all. You do realize that's completely the opposite of. For those who are wondering why I giggled so loudly. Uh, it, it's the opposite of the truth, of course. It, it's so the opposite of the truth. The number of, of networks, the number of connections you have is is, is so pyramid, pyra, can you say py, a pyramid-like? I was going to say pyramidical. It's so, it's so king of the hill. I have more, it's so yes, exactly. not about networking. It's so about, I'm, my chest, I'm thumping my chest because I have 2,000 connections and who knows what they mean, but I have 2,000 friends on Facebook and aren't I great? It's sort of the antithesis of tumbling and connecting. And so, yeah. okay, I can rant about that forever, but we're going to wrap up and take this to the after show where things get really hot, by the way, and we all drink and curse up a banshee. <laughs> so, you should, if you want to, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, please join us live at TumbleVision.tv, Thursday nights, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have, uh, that way you can hear the pre and post show. We're going to get into a lot more deep time with Dan Gould. We're sorry, Dan, we didn't spend maybe more time, but maybe as um, we see namesake evolve, he'll come back. I would love to. This has been really and fun. Because you are really, I mean, do you guys, do we have another startup actually trying to build something for conversation right now? I don't think we do. Not in the way, not in, not someone who gets it the way Dan does and not in that way. No, we're going to delve in deep. You're going to regret ever inviting us into games. <laughs> although we're going to want Andy Bio to come back because I do want to talk about for um, upcoming. Although he's actually, I, I'm not using ThinkUp, what he's, what he's working on with, uh, with Gina, yeah. but I, uh, I wonder the degree to which Gina Trapani, that piece of software is quite openly conversational. Yeah, yeah that is so, as well in a different way. So, uh, Anything you want to let people know about Debs at the end of the show here? Oh, you always throw that in at the end and I forget. Um, nothing. Back at, to you. Ne- yeah, next week I'll think of something new to say. That's it. Uh, I'm sure I'm speaking somewhere and doing something somewhere, but I can't think of it right now. <laughs> Kevin? Um, one thing I would say is if you're interested in uh, social business, Dreamforce um, is coming up in July. I think it is. And the um, early discount period is running out at the end of this week. So if you have a look at that. 
Now, Dan, your uh, startup this this startup is Namesake. You want to name some of your other startups in case people don't know well, your so name in terms of, of your prior work. Been small, but I'll actually uh, jump in with a little ad since we're trying to build a community of great people, and I think the whole set of people who listen to this podcast are part of your world and your community. So uh, they can sign up. I'll paste it in the chat, but via nmsk.co slash dlg vip invite i'll paste that in the chat and <laughs> Trip, trips off the tongue <laughs> yeah I, I just created a quick invite code but uh didn't plan to speak it aloud how about uh, how about we put it can we put it up on our blog for a week we will oh yeah sure okay i basically we're uh, we're large enough that we're happy to to it's not top secret okay it's just community building now so uh that sounds great but it's been so fun and and I will just say, at the very least, Mark Zuckerberg, if you're listening to us, because I maybe need to have a moment with you at every show, Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg, Dan Gould is on his site. I just want you to know that. And he's actually saying hello to people and responding to questions. Just might want to consider five minutes a day. Just yeah, blowing just some people's minds. Imagine, and imagine, actually answering someone. Imagine, imagine what at would this happen. point, imagine at this point, because he's doing it from the opposite of like, oh, it's Mark Zuckerberg fame. Imagine if he randomly just... Said hello oh. and friended someone. Oh By the God, way, we, is... we 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 did do a little sort of and then unpacking of names. Right. Yeah, can we, we just... can we wrap up and do yes, that? yes. I was just going to say to Dan that we did do a little unpacking of ideas to improve namesake. But I do have to say that I did like the fact that the two founders um, have their signatures on the bottom of the page saying "created by." Yes, personal uh, touch. I, like I did too. like that. So kudos I for originality. Liked... I liked that too. It's like, hi, we're people and we're here. Next, we'll actually see their faces bigger than the yes. end of your pinky. So um, that's <laughs> been uh, Tumble Eye for the startup guys uh, this week <laughs> on uh, namesake.com. And uh, next, we'll be back next week with Joy Ito, which uh, I don't think you want to miss that one. Um, He's going to be running the new, well, he'll be the new person running the MIT Media Lab, which also just announced a huge new center that Ethan Zuckerman's going to be running, yep. uh, Center for Civic Media, which we should, we should get into as well. So um, any things you want, you want to hear us talk about, let us know. You can reach us at tumblevision.tv. Um, you can get any of us on Twitter. Uh, I don't have any unpresenting workshops set up just as yet. I'm hoping to do one in San Francisco in August if it works out to speak at WordCamp San Francisco, where I did do a Tools for Tumblers uh, video at WordCamp Seattle. I'll post that into, into the Namesake conversation. If you go into Namesake, there's a tumbling conversation and you can join us there as well. So um, looking forward to seeing you all here next week. Please, uh, if you enjoy the show, do go, or if you don't enjoy the show, go to iTunes and review it and tell us what you think or give some feedback because that's how people can, that's, that's the algorithmic way people can actually, um, it's set up. For, that's how people can find the show and find out about it. If you think this stuff is important, then let other people know it's worth talking about how to have a web-based on people. So that's my very long wrap up. Many thanks to our producer, Andrew Hazlitt for a great job this week. And, uh, we'll be coming to you with, I think we have our, a new sponsor, excitingly enough, coming up soon that we'll let you all be knowing about. If you'd like to sponsor us, get in touch, and we'll see you here next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.